Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Bloody Elbow Podcasts are proud to be sponsored by RevGear. They've been a pioneer in the industry and have grown into a formidable brand and true leader in the MMA gear market. Bloody Elbow listeners get 20% off. Go to RevGear.com slash Bloody Elbow email sign up. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always... Connor Rebush. That's amazing. <laughs> never gonna not hate that. I'm never gonna not laugh at it. I'm just trying to man you. You know, we're both uh, we're both dragging ass. I think a little, a little. Yeah. So I'm trying to inject some energy. In You're trying to, to inject ass. Not drag it. <laughs> inject some ass into the show. That's me. Uh, turbocharge it. <laughs> Nitrous boosted ass. That's <laughs> <laughs> what they say about me on the dance floor. <laughs> and all other times. <laughs> <laughs> it's not nitrous, it's boosted by most times. Other other naturally occurring gases, maybe. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's 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 well, steer steer away mm-hmm. steer out of the skid sure um and we've got a ufc <laughs> skid you say <laughs> <laughs> that was deliberate i didn't catch it quick enough though all right okay <laughs> ufc something right we've got this ufc fight night card in front of us mm-hmm. and um it's okay yeah yeah it can, it, I, i've liked it more the more i've looked at it yeah it's it's one of those cards where it really just it's a co-main event short of a good card. Yeah. You know, I'd al- I'd almost say that it's just short of main event, but mm-hmm. Derek Lewis is usually good value for money. And yeah, it, it, now, it means something. It's like yeah. good heavyweight, actually good question mark heavyweight versus a guy who pretty clearly isn't good but just won't go away. Yeah, versus the guy who makes the case that there is no such thing as an actually good heavyweight. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, it's not my preferred species of main event, but uh, it's a main event, I think. It's a main event, and it just needs a co-main. It needs that one other fight that has meaning yeah. underneath it, which this doesn't. This card doesn't really have. Yeah. You know, I realize that like. Denise Gomes might be vying her way for a rank, a, a woman's flyweight ranking or strawweight ranking against Angela Hill. And um, that's about it. Mm-hmm. 
I love we we both love Nicholas Dalby. Mm-hmm. But uh it, it, yeah, it just it has the one meaningful fight on the top and then everything else is yeah, very, I mean I w- very pretty. I would say throughout the card it's like there's a couple fights where you're like, "Oh, I'm interested in this fighter, like they're developing, maybe they're going to break through soon, whatever." But for the most part, it is not a card defined by like the divisional relevance of the matchups. Also, for the most part, there's enough recognizable fighters in matchups that mostly look pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So it'll probably be an enjoyable card to watch. Yeah. But but you could skip it and like not be confused as to like who's getting slotted into what big fight next. Yeah. It is. I will say UFC did do a good job of making sure that every fight is Brazilian against somebody. That's true. Easier, easier when they go to Brazil than all of their other international cards where they're like, God, we're going to Denmark. Uh, I don't know. um, Czech guy will be on the card. They got there's some of those in Denmark, right? Trying to trying to get Peter Jan to do his his best (laughs) British impersonation for the next UK (laughs) card. (laughs) Come on, Peter. Damn it. Just making him speak really unfluent English. Governor. <laughs> Hello, Governor. Core, blimey. <laughs> no, P- Peter, it's ooh, er, missus. Anyway. Who are misses? Goodness. Yeah. So anyway, we got a, a fine. It's fine yeah. with a lot of Brazilians. It's fine. Although uh, I did just realize that uh, we got we have one la- very last minute fight change that uh, we'll have to get into on the prelims. But anyway, uh, main card action. Let's just go ahead and dive into this Jailton Almeida Derek Lewis fight, which uh, is your classic true to two true outcome fight that right. uh, feels a lot more like a one true outcome fight. Yeah. Realistically. Yeah. I mean, realistically in all likelihood, Jalton Almeida is like actually pretty good. At least <laughs> um, he's at least very good at his like one skill set. Yeah. And then he's a really good athlete. And so he can kind of fake it in a lot of other aspects. Um, yeah. And Derek Lewis is like, you know, is like a, a joke fighter. <laughs> he's like, he's the best meme fighter to ever yeah. exist. Pretty much. Yeah. You know. Um. So, so here's the thing is I, I am, it happened again, by the way, like the, every time there is like a meaningful heavyweight fight, it feels like I am reprimanded by the universe for having too high of expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened with like Gon Jones with Gon yep. and Ganu. Yeah. Um, and it just happened with uh, Nganu versus Tyson Fury where I'm like, this is going to be like uh, McGregor Mayweather, you know, like, Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, we he did like impressive, but like, you know, uh, this guy's a real boxer. And then like, then you have like a heavyweight boxer who's maybe not in the best shape that he should be. And you're like, it's always oh. hard to tell with Fury, though. People yeah. are like, he's at, he looked, he looked out of shape and underprepared. And I'm like, yeah, 
but he, like he always looks weird to be he fair. Always, he has a weird body. Yeah. He's he like always, six foot nine with like uh and he's like thirty percent love handles even when he's in shape. So Yeah. It's like you're just noticing it now. Maybe you're just noticing it now because he didn't fight well. Whereas every I've other I've watched time, quite a bit of Tyson Fury. I think he he did look a little extra flabby. And the story is that he cut from like four hundred pounds or something. Yeah. That's like where he started at the start of the camp. Anyway, heavyweight will always, uh, or, you know, the, the MMA gods will always step in with a healthy reminder just when you get too, too big for your britches or not big enough for your britches as the case may be mm-hmm. that, that heavyweights are just really, really limited by gravity, yep. by technique, by the sort of low expectations that are like enforced by the division, you know. I don't know what the inverse of iron sharpens iron is. <laughs> you know, r- r- rubber rubber destroys rubber. Rubber. Uh, yeah. See. No, velvet. Uh, <laughs> it's velvet. Velvet. You see what I'm saying, though—a sort of competitive yeah. lowering of of, uh, of bars. Yeah, is sort of what what goes on interminably at heavyweight. Anyway, the point is that I have my eye on Geraldton Almeida. Yeah, just like I did with Cyril Gone, and I'm not saying it won't sneak up on me because, like, probably he'll win this fight very comfortably, and then the one where I'm like, okay, this guy actually is good, then he's going to lose embarrassingly. Mm-hmm. But. Until I get suckered yet again, I have my eye on Jarlton Almeida waiting for that prospect loss, waiting for that huge sort of unforeseen exposure of some massive gap in his game or some huge vulnerability. Yeah, and it, all it could take in, in a case like this would be for Jarlton Almeida to go out, take Derek Lewis down, spend a round on top of him, right. not getting the submission. And then have Derek Lewis come out and Jelton be a little more tired and Lewis be a little harder to take down the next round and force him to trade punches. Right. And lean on some pretty rudimentary kickboxing from Almeida. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a way it could go wrong. I think the fact that Almeida is a is the rare heavyweight shot wrestler. Yeah. If Lewis uh, just falls on him. Yeah, especially because uh, unlike someone like Curtis Blades, another shot wrestler in this division, um, who Derek Lewis did dispatch with a perfectly timed uppercut, mm-hmm. that's always a possibility. That's 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 way three that the fight could go wrong. Um, but Gilton, unlike Curtis Blades, is a shot wrestler who shoots from his knees, like always. Yeah. Good level change, good timing, and he gets his hands together and builds back up whatever, but he always shoots straight to his knees. And uh, I am waiting for somebody, say, Derek Lewis-sized to pancake him. Yep. To just sprawl really hard and have Jalton just be like, oh, God, this is why most heavyweights don't shoot. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think there's like three pretty viable ways that this fight could go wrong for Jalton. You know, ending up underneath Derek Lewis one way or another is a bad place to be. Getting tired against Derek Lewis is bad. And, and Lewis has, you know, the, the Zen approach to grappling that he might just um, be a more complicated puzzle than all the guys 
Almeida has been fighting up to this point who like freak out the moment he gets them to the ground and burn all of their energy trying to power him off. Yeah, um, it would be like the 50-piece puzzle instead of the 10-piece puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Um, all that being said, like, Jonathan Almeida really should win this fight. Yeah, I mean, especially to, like, you know, he, he can shoot a real low takedown. As you say, he often shoots from his knees. Um, But that also means he gets in low around yeah. his opponent. And... He doesn't go full, like, low, single low, but he, does, he tends to get the knees. Yeah. These big, clumsy heavyweights and just wrap up their knees and they just fall over. Yeah, and Lewis is very much a guy who is susceptible to that exact kind of takedown. Certainly. He's always been... He, He's really susceptible to all manner of takedowns. Yeah, he is. He's very but, like. The 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 mo- the least susceptible he is the the kind of takedown he is least susceptible to is like the straight at his waistline shot. Yeah, you know, you go lower than that, it's a problem. You go higher than that, it's a problem. Yeah. Um, and the th- the problem really here is that unlike so many of the men that Derek Lewis has succeeded in oh, I got taken down, but I am just going to power my way back up over the years. Unlike those guys, um, Jelton Almeida is just, has he has such a great control top game. Right. Just real heavy positional dominance. Yeah, and he has been impressively relaxed in his control against the likes of like, like Shamil Abdurahimov, worked really hard to free himself after getting taken down early. Yeah. And uh, Almeida did not, like, fight back as another heavyweight might. Mm-mm. Like, I know he is a heavyweight, but he's a little heavyweight. And he just kind of, like, let Shamil throw him around. It just kind of floated. And, yep. and anticipated the transitions, anticipated the escape attempts. He never let him out. Nope. But he did not, like, try to go strength against strength to keep him down at all. No. And that's, I mean, that's what Lewis used to do. And that Lewis Almeida would have certainly exhausted within a round because he would have worked so hard to get essentially like a blanket off of him. That's just like a weighted blanket. Every time you push one place, it gets heavy another place. And then you gotta, you know, it just smothers you. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the other thing obviously is, you know, the like calm Lewis who doesn't fight back that hard. Yeah, that is really a tactic that mostly works because right. so much of the heavyweights he's facing are really not good threats <laughs> right. on the right. ground. You know, they might be striking threats, but they're not actually good grappling threats. Right. Almeida is somebody the, like Daniel Cormier gets him down. Yeah. He or even just gets choked out. <laughs> yeah. Or, or Sergei he, Spivak. Even Ser- Sergei Spivak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's both a worse grappler and a worse wrestler? Yeah. I think that's the thing: is having a potent submission threat. Yeah, seems like a pretty reliable path to actually making a ground game really matter against Derek Lewis. Pretty much, and that, Almeida has that. Yep. Yeah, I think you just kind of have to pick Almeida here. Sure. He, he's a heavyweight. He might get undressed at some point. Very, you know, 
it may be just somebody like Cyril Gaon who can just create a line of defense at, you know, the edge of range Mm -hmm. that requires more thought than just, I'm going to step into the pocket and shoot on you. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be all it takes to really be Almeida's downfall. Maybe somebody like Curtis Blades, who is a good enough wrestler to just stop shots. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll be what it takes. But Derek Lewis has, he has been susceptible to this kind of game for a long time. And I just don't feel like this is going to be his opportunity. I don't feel like we're going to see the Curtis Blades problem where, you know, Blades pretty clearly has worked himself into an issue over the past few years where he's developed a boxing game that detracts from his wrestling game Mm -hmm. and makes it harder for him to figure out when he wants to set his shots up and how. But I'm ready for the moment. Yeah, I'm ready for Almeida (laughs) for something to go terribly wrong because you just I just can't allow myself to fully believe in another heavyweight prospect. Absolutely. Uh, Odds on the fight. Almeida opened at minus 493 is still at minus 493 has jumped up and down a little got down as low as minus 556 and as high as minus 441. And Derek Lewis opened at plus 390, is currently still right back at plus 390. So uh, some movement on those lines, because they've ended up right back where they started is with Almeida, a pretty significant favorite, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, that takes us to our loosely defined co-main event. <laughs> Gabriel Bonfim against Nicholas Dalby. And um, this is a hard fight to call. It really, really is. Not just because I'm a big fan of Nicholas Dalby, as are you, Mm -hmm. but because Gabriel Bonfim just I can't tell if he's actually good or actually bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's hard to tell how much depth there really is there. Yeah. Like he's 15 and 0. And most of the early version of that record is not anything good or interesting, as is expected, though. Like that doesn't, you know, that's not a knock against him. Yeah. He's been taking, uh, you know, consistent steps up in competition the last few years and he's been winning still and the thing that keeps shaking out from him is that he is very good at being opportunistic and he is chaotic enough in his desire to pressure that he creates the opportunities he needs Mm mm-hmm you know, like that fight he had with uh, Trevin Giles, it was not pretty. He just basically stepped out there and started winging wild mm-hmm. hooks with Trevin Giles in the mm-hmm. pocket. He's a good athlete. He hits hard. He's fast. And he's yep. super, super confident. Fights like an undefeated fighter. I mean, yeah, 
Uh, and yeah, he just like stepped up, pressured really jittery, like early Jose Aldo, yep. like super tense, made Giles nervous. The moment Giles threw anything, he was like, I'm going to throw nine punches at you. Yeah. Uh, and none of them landed, but it made Giles so uncomfortable that it created further opportunities. That's the kind of pressure that he seems to to automatically produce. And this is the trouble is like it, it's hard to believe in it. But as he's gone up in competition, his wins have just been has continued to be very easy. Yeah. I mean, that fight with Munir right? Lezez as well, like yeah. Lezez seemed like he was doing totally fine and the right things for the, the 40 seconds it lasted. Right. And then he got a little jittery by how hard Bonfim was thrown back at him and decided to shoot and just shot right into a guillotine. And it was wrapped up in a second. That's all it needed. Yep. So being able to be that kind of opportunistic and to put that kind of pace and power on people early enough that they make mistakes, it... It's going to take, I get the feeling what we're going to get with Bonfim at this point is a fighter who has some really great success Mm -hmm. and then very likely has the wheels just fly off where, you know, he climbs up to the top 15 and somebody beats him and everybody else goes, oh, that's, that's how. Mm -hmm. And they just start beating him more. I mean, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe not, maybe. He will just he's just that opportunistic and will be more technical as time goes on and can carry this style further. I I'm willing to be very wrong on this. It just Yeah. You know, I look at his brother and I keep seeing like, oh, that's the technical one. You know? Right. And he's already lost his UFC fight against somebody who just was willing to go after him and punish him exactly the same way that Gabriel Bonfim has been doing to opponents. So I do still have this feeling that at some point those wheels come off, but is Dalby the guy to do it? Because his whole thing is really just about being tough, not going away, having cardio and getting into a grimy fight where his toughness and his cardio can win out. And it's been enough to win some, to win a bunch of fights lately. Mm -hmm. And even some decisions I don't necessarily think he should have gotten. You know, I'm not necessarily, I, I feel like I'm, I wasn't that sure he actually beat, Alex Oliveira and I'm not that sure he beat Daniel Rodriguez and his fight with Warley Alves was really close and he got hurt pretty bad by Muslim Salikov in the opening of their fight mm-hmm. he definitely beat Salikov though he did beat Salikov so he's still doing it and I love watching it because I love seeing a guy who just has his kind of grit and heart kind of making it happen over and over mm-hmm. and over again. But. And like, it, man, maybe it may, if he can just be tough for a round against Bonfim, like 
maybe that'll be enough to for his size and physicality to deny Bonfim the kind of control of, of pace and energy that he would need to keep fighting the mm-hmm. way he does at the UFC at level. It could that could very well happen. But yeah, I mean a, a certain amount of toughness, which Dolby definitely has. Physical and mental resilience is obviously really, really important to be yeah. to, to testing Bonfim. I mean, the trouble with, with Bonfim that we've kind of talked around is that um, most of his fights have not been nearly competitive enough. Yeah. Where it's easy to see what his shortcomings might be. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, you know, like I, 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 I don't at all trust his striking technique, it, right. especially his defense. He, he throws right. really hard and really fast, but he's, pretty much always putting him himself in a compromised position because yeah. of that. Um, and he's just trust. He's, he's just going on blind faith that he will land the better shot. He will force his opponent to make the mistake before he does. Yeah. And eating up whatever space is created, like after an exchange. Yeah. Uh, always being ready to dive back in like that is automatic for Bonfim. So what I mean, mm-hmm. he has this super committed pressuring style, which to me always creates the strong suspicion that if somebody can weather that and then start to push him back, probably we see some serious mistakes getting made. Yeah. Um, most guys who fight that way do not like to be the nail, right? Do not like to be driven around. Don't like to be sort of so completely in control of the initiative of the fight. And so I don't think it's impossible that Nicholas Dalby know makes it through the first round it's never his best round of a fight yeah against salikov and you know probably gets hurt at some point whatever but can perhaps start to get on the front foot more as the fight goes on can start to um come up with some interesting counters can start to hit bonfim from kicking range after putting him on the back foot and i just i just don't know how gabriel does in like an ugly fight yeah where the opponent isn't just doesn't like automatically respect and respond passively and defensively to all of his sort of aggressive posturing. Yeah. The, 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 the problem here, I think I have really in picking Dalby to win. Yeah. Is that Jesse Ronson fight Mm -hmm. where Ronson came out there with fast hands ready to trade in the pocket. Dalby tried to, you know, start things fast and get messy the way he often does early in fights. Got immediately stung, had his back taken and got choked out. Mm -hmm. And of, you know, other than a very aged Tim Means I mean, I, you know, like part of the problem for me really is that I guess Warley Alves would be the guy who really can mm-hmm. do a lot of the same things that Bonfim can um, to really compare to. Because it's just a, a, the idea is like, does Dolby, has Dolby been facing guys who are able to be as dangerous in two places at once as Bonfim is? You know? 
both as a striker and as a grappler. But Alves is a good parallel for that, you know. Yeah, Alves is a pretty good parallel for that. I'm I just have to I have to lean Bonfim here personally. I just think that he is going to be able to hurt Dolby bad enough that with his level of opportunism, I'm trusting that he can get it done. If he can't, I'm fully prepared to be once again hyped for another Dolby win. But you know, part of the fun of rooting for Dol- uh, of rooting for Dolby is picking against him and then watching sure. him him come back and overcome the odds. Mhm. So, yeah, I'm 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 just going to take a flyer and pick Dolby, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, largely uh my natural suspicion of people who are obviously good. Yep, yep. <laughs> just got real Bonfim. You've never experienced it and you have no reason to trust it. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem something something's weird about this guy. Something's off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what he's just like winning his fights, like they're all like really easy for him. Like what? That's what? not right. Yeah. He's cheating or something, right? Uh, um, but you know, that often does come paired with that there is always a point at which the guy who has it mostly his way runs into somebody who is like and often it is just a physical barrier. And in that yeah. in that regard, this fight both could and, and may and may not be the barrier because in some ways Dolby is a tough elite physical athlete he's really strong uh people who tie up i mean that is certainly some was some good security against the wrestling and grappling of orly alves and should be some good security against bonfim's wrestling and grappling um that not a lot of of other fighters have and that is often the place bonfim goes when he can't just crush somebody with his striking in the first couple minutes right Uh um Sometimes he goes there right away, but the, you know the the switch up of am I going to throw three hard punches at you, or am I going to shoot or do a flying knee or something like? Um, Dolby's very difficult to definitively out wrestle. Yeah, in, in basically every fight, and so that's a good sign for him. As far as like durability and speed and like all these other athletic intangibles, is Dolby uh, the physical barrier? No, no. Right. So uh, maybe I will not see Gabriel Bonfim suffer the loss that I'm picking him to suffer here until he just runs into somebody who he can hit 8000 times and they just don't even flinch. Yeah. And that's the guy who breaks him. That that's often how it goes. But I think there's definitely a version of this fight where Nicholas Dalby is just complete. He's had so much experience just not winning the first rounds of fights. Yeah. Uh, and then just inexorably getting more time on the front foot, picking up his volume, threatening more of his own takedowns, and just being miserable to tie up with any time the range closes. Um, that, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick him. Why not? Yeah, there's a version of this fight where Dolby gets hurt and presses Bonfim into the cage, and Bonfim, like, jumps guillotine. Yeah. And Dolby just gets on top pops his head out and just scrambles with Bonfim for a round. Mm-hmm. And then Dolby is ready to do that again. And Bonfim isn't, mm-hmm. you know, that would not be a shock. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pick that Bonfim is just, just a little too opportunistic and 
dangerous for Dalby to mm-hmm. survive in multiple areas with the chance that he could get both stung and submitted while stung. Yeah. That could totally crazy. happen. Why did that uh, Jesse Ronson loss get taken away? Oh, okay. Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was, or was it marijuana or was it, uh, let's see, it might have been like Adderall or something stupid. Whatever it was. Uh, yep. Oh. No, it was some sort of. Actually, it was it was actually some sort of steroid, apparently. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, fortunately, that kind of thing won't be happening anymore. That's right. Not not with, with UFC our, now yeah. administering their own drug testing. We're going to get fewer steroid pops, but just as many fights uh, expunged for marijuana. That's right. Because the slaves aren't allowed to have that. <laughs> Bad fighter. All right. All right. Uh, odds on the bout. Bonfim is a huge favorite, bigger than he should be, but the hype is out there at this point. And Open I at minus hype, three. You know? f- what? And I get the hype. Yeah. He's very exciting, and he keeps crushing people. I mean, what's, yeah. why would you people not get excited and confident in this guy? And it's at home in Brazil, too, which gamblers, I can tell you right now, mm-hmm. are going to be the laying a lot of chalk on on or a lot of bets on Brazilians just for being at home in Brazil. Sure. Uh Bonfim opened at minus three fifty one, currently down at minus five eighty six. Totally misused the phrase chalk, but whatever. You got you all forgive me. I don't gamble. <laughs> um Dolby opened at plus two ninety two is currently up at plus four forty. You're trying to do a a John Anik there. Yeah. John Anik is such an inveterate gambler that on the broadcast, he's using all the lingo. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. He's one of those. You know, people people don't think of people think of Anik as like the clean cut professional one up there. Uh, That dude's a degenerate. He is a complete degenerate. (laughs) I mean, the best thing he ever did was literally to lose a bet that got saw him get a Stockton area code tattoo. Yeah, it's true. And he did it. A family man, clean cut. He was like, sure, I'll get a tattoo for a for a joke. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> you can take you can take the guy out of Boston, but you can't take that's right. Take the Boston out of the guy. That's right. All right. I mean that you was, can, but it's wicked hot. It is, it is wicked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to a heavyweight fight, Rodrigo Nascimento, Dante Mays, and uh, this is one of those just like, first of all, this is a rematch of what was a really clear first fight, the fight the first time. Yeah. And second of all, like we didn't need this fight the first time. Yeah. Why are we know. doing this again? I don't know. I, I don't know whose sister Dontel Mays uh, had the eye for or something, but like, you know, pretty easily lost to Rodrigo Nascimento last time. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I and, don't know. They, they don't know what else to do, I suppose, with heavyweight matchups. You're like, uh, 
shit, now he beat Arlovsky. We were going to have Nascimento fight Arlovsky next. Shit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Do them. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It doesn't. And I do, it, I do like Nascimento, though. He, I gotta be honest. He's slowly growing on me. He, the big thing is, is that he's getting to be a much calmer puncher. Yeah, he's um, for quite a while now. I think he's been a surprisingly good boxer. He's, it's been spotty. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't appear, and then suddenly he's like, "Oh wait, what if I throw combinations?" And you're like, it, "Wait a minute, this guy has hands." It used to be that he would box only to shoot a double leg. Yeah, His striking right, right, right. was just a path to get him to double leg takedowns, and then have, where you know, like he's not a a great wrestler or a great grappler, but it was a place where he could exercise his Yogi Bear physique on people. Yeah, he's a big dude. He is. Yogi Bear physique is right. Yeah, I mean, that's his nickname. It's, the man is, oh, is it okay? Yeah. I was about to say, this man is built like Grimace. <laughs> He's absolutely <laughs> built like Grimace. I love it because you look at his topology photo and you're like, oh, that's a really well-conditioned, actually in-shape heavyweight. Uh-huh. And then you look at a full-body photo of Rodrigo Nascimento and you're like, okay, that's actually your standard heavyweight. That makes yeah. more sense. Yep. It's just yeah, this all dude, that This ex- dude probably has a great um, Tinder profile picture yeah yeah crossing the arms making him look really big You're like this dude is fit yeah yeah and then he and shows got... up in his his large button-up looney tunes where you're like okay <laughs> i see <laughs> i've been had wearing a bowling shirt that isn't long enough to cover up his tyson fury midsection yeah yeah that's good <laughs> but i like nascimento he has a yeah. He has been quietly but steadily improving as a striker, getting mm-hmm. more confident and just I mean, a lot of it is just like pretty clean technique. Yeah. Like um, the defense is not really there, but at least he leads off with his jab and seems to have a pretty good sense, a growing sense of, of what his distance is. And he throws good tight combinations. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, maybe this will be the only interest there is to be had in a matchup like this is that perhaps it will be different, uh, a different way for Nascimento to beat Dante Mays than the last time they fought. Yeah. Cause I mean, Mays, credit to Mays, he is slowly improving, but it's very much in that way that a fighter improves when their game is broken, but they do it a lot more. Yeah. A haphazard improvement. Yeah, it's like, okay, you're calmer now. You are more able to control your cardio output, more able to co- collect yourself from bad errors, mm-hmm. better able to, uh, you know, have have a better knowledge of where you are in the cage at what time. But it's still, you know, he will still always be the guy who just looks like he, you know, glanced at a picture of somebody doing karate and yeah. that has been the foundation for his entire yeah. striking game ever since. Bonto Mesa's style says last active subscription to black belt magazine. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Very piecemeal, weird game. We've talked about this before. Dante Mesa is one of the most frustrating heavyweights to watch because it's yeah. pretty clear that he should be a lot better than he is. Yeah. The he's like he's a good athlete. He's big. Yep. He, the fact that he moves around and does all the zany athletic shit he does for a guy of his size, yeah, 
just tells you that there is a ton of potential there, and he has had exactly the same amount of potential for as long as I have been watching him as a fighter. Yep. Like, it, very little has changed. He makes the goofiest decisions. I mean, he literally, like, he was this close to beating that, uh, that, um... Um, Del Wahab. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He was this close to beating him, and... He basically like just kept throwing away entire rounds by making the stupidest decisions you could think of. Oh, he is a Jackson Wink fighter. That's right. Yep. Just can't stick to something that's working. Mm-mm. And this is why I like a guy like Nascimento a lot more. Because this dude, I mean, you can see it in their fight. Like Dante Mays was not doing that badly against Nascimento. No. And this was one of those fights where Ned Nascimento was like, wait, what if I pressure him and throw three punches? It just started nailing him, and everything became a lot easier. And now he has continued building on this really solid boxing process. Um, meanwhile, and, Dante Mays is just kind of still guessing. And sometimes yeah, it like, works. What if I sometimes... throw two back fists? Right, exactly. The man spins about thirty-five times per round. Yeah, not good. You know, cool. No. I suppose if you're. Uh, a subscriber of Black Belt Magazine, but not not exactly a principled way of fighting. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just why not pick Nascimento again, right? Indeed. Uh, odd makers, they are not as sold. I don't know what's going on here. If he beat him, lost, he already beat him. <laughs> he already beat him. His what? His one loss came from a much faster, more, like, distinctively process-driven puncher in Chris Daukas that, like, I don't expect Maze to recreate that. I mean, he could, but it was just a flash KO. I don't, wouldn't take that much away from it. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing Daukas does really well that yeah. Maze does not. The first, the last time Dante Mays knocked somebody out in the first round of a fight was 2019 on the Contender Series. And it was with one second left in the first round. And e- even then, that is his only fir- first round stoppage, excepting his debut. Every other fight, he's either had decisions or he has had to, you know, get a TKO through attrition. Mm-hmm. He's just not a clean enough, persistent enough striker to get a lot of clean KOs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't really see why. But Dante Mays, he's an underdog, but he's he opened at plus 188, and he's currently plus 161. Okay. And Nasamento opened at minus 214. He's currently at minus 181. Everything about this fight is strange. I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, just a very... uh, A rematch that doesn't need to happen at margins that suggest it does need to happen. Yeah, right? I don't know. I don't know either. (laughs) All right. I don't get it. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Kyle Bahio against Abus Magomedov. The second best middleweight in the world. The second best middleweight. In the world. What? Oh, nothing. I was just <laughs> thinking of something else. 
Yeah, no, I was thinking, you know, next to Akar Magomedov, but that was just a really stupid joke. <laughs> <laughs> it took me about a solid 10 seconds to even understand what was happening. I was like, I don't know that fighter. <laughs> Do I have to know who that is to get the reference? Oh, yeah. It's, du- it's dumber than my brain wanted <laughs> it to be. Than your brain wanted it to be. Uh huh. Yeah. Anyway. Um, this is kind of a, this is actually, my first thought was like, oh, I don't, I don't get this. Like what, what, what are we really going to give, uh, Abus Magomedov, like, are, are we, are, are we not done with the idea that he is like an actually, you know, going places middleweight? That's kind of my first knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, I mean, he's not, like, bad. That's the thing. Is He is a very solid, experienced veteran. And he has a style that is actually has a lot of speed and length to it. And so he becomes a really difficult fighter to predict right out of the, right out of the gate. Yeah, he is a shocking fighter to deal with early on. Yep. And... That actually makes this a pretty interesting fight for Kyle Bahia, who is very much like it just feels like is I don't like it. Yep. I don't like the way he fights. <laughs> yep, I'm with you. I just don't like it at all. Like he is so willing to give ground as a striker, so willing to back up and try to play for single all-or-nothing attacks. It's very high-risk, low-reward striking. And because of that, it makes his wrestling game very 50-50. Mm-hmm. He can either catch you off guard trying to guess whether he's launching a right hand at you or a double leg. Yep. Or he will get caught off guard leaping in or get caught with his back against the cage and trapped and pulled to the mat himself. Yep. And then he just kind of depends on this idea that sooner or later he will win out the position. And it shouldn't work, but it's worked so far. Mm-hmm. Even though he's had fights like with Mahmoud Muradov, that was just a really ugly fight all the way through. Yep. Not at all convinced he won that fight. And that fight with Mike, Mikhail Alexejic, that was a disaster to open it. He was, it was exactly the kind of loss that I think he's heading for at some point where somebody's just like, well, if you're going to give me the front foot, I'll just take it and tag you constantly. Uh, And that makes this difficult to call because Abus Magomedov is a fast starter who is very difficult to predict early on. He throws some snapping front kicks. He's got a really long reach. And he 
is uh, he throws his shots straight down the pipe. And he likes to be on the front foot early if he can. Mm -hmm. So Bahio gives him that. Sure. There's a great chance that Bahio just gets put away. Um, on the yeah, flip side, the lesson with Kyle Bahio is that um, is that Gunnar Nelson really should have been born a middleweight. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's pretty much the same game. Yep. And, it uh, is. It is very much the Gunnar Nelson game. Yeah. I mean, I will say, like, I I think that there there is a lot of room for Bahio to grow. Of course. There's as always been room he, for Gunnar Nelson to grow, too, if he weren't sure. an SPG. I, what I mean is I think there's a little more potential, probably because he's not an SPG. Like, as much as um, it looked like a strategically suicidal approach to just, like, let um, Oleg Sajic just back him up and, and unload combos, he didn't, like, deal with it terribly. He actually yeah. was, like, pretty calm under fire. He kind of, like, shelled up and slipped and rolled with shots much better than I would have expected once he was stuck in the pocket. Mm -hmm. So the holes aren't like so easy to exploit as they are with Gunnar Nelson, where it's like, oh, this dude literally stick him in a boxing exchange. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, again, it, it does still feel strategically very <laughs> puncturable. Yes. And uh like I said, it feels like something that Magomedov is actually really Absolutely. well primed to take on and to. Yeah, being just as aggressive early as Oleksajic, but being much bigger and longer and really um, the, the reach above all, I think, could make Bahaya really uncomfortable. And having more variety. Sure. Too, where it's just like, you know, with Oleksajic, you really know exactly what kind of strikes he's going to be coming in with. Yeah. Magomedov has a little more room to surprise. I mean, I like Alexejic more just because he does body work and things like that. And right. he's got a more complex punching game when he gets inside. But Magomedov is able to provide more variety yeah. out at distance on his way in. But at the same time, I also kind of feel like uh, Abus is just like... It's a mask that's much easier to pull away. Mm -hmm. He's very used to just overwhelming somebody and then having them not be able to catch up at all. Mm -hmm. And like we saw in the Sean Strickland fight, the moment his style stopped, it didn't stop Strickland. It didn't prevent him from getting to his own game. Magomedov's game started to deteriorate rapidly. Mm-hmm. And Bahio, all the criticisms I could have of him, that does not happen to him. Nope. He is surprisingly tough and resilient and scrappy. Yeah. So do I do I get do I bank on the idea that Bahio, because I don't like the way he fights, is heading into a bad loss somewhere along the way that just, you know, he gets caught and put away. Or do I bank on the idea that Abus Magomedov is a quadruple A fighter who is going to continually run up against roadblocks in the UFC because he's made to 
style on people that just can't match his physicality. Mm -hmm. And the more people he meets that can match his physicality, the more you're going to see a a game that falls apart against pushback. I mean, it is so clear in um, Magomedov's record uh, and watching his watching his previous fights, the disparity between what it looks like when he wins and what it looks like when he loses. Yeah, it's simply it's one way traffic or it's not. Yeah, if the opponent is like we said this when he was slated to fight Strickland, which is why we picked Strickland very confidently. Yeah, which is not to say that he didn't have a lot of like impressive, a lot of impressive moments early against Strickland. Uh huh. But what we saw was like, I don't get it because every single time this guy, weirdly, everyone this dude has fought is just like so intimidated by his size that they just let him pressure them. Yeah. And on the rare occasions when that hasn't happened or on a couple occasions where they have let him pressure them, but they've just been ready to plant their feet and counter. He has either been stopped surprisingly quickly or they have made it out of the first round and that's how they beat him, which is how Strickland beat him, but also early in his career, how uh, like Mikel Parlo and um, Andreas Stahl, like these are good fighters too, by the way, but yeah, that's, you know, that's what it is. Like good fighters just don't go away. They don't die easily. And Abus doesn't beat them historically. Yep. And people who wilt and hate the pressure and are much smaller than him. These are the people that he just flourishes against. I don't think Bahalio goes away that easily. I don't think he does either. Uh, and I also think Bahalio is, for all the sort of um, apparent gaps in how he fights, he is clearly a very good athlete. Uh-huh. And like I said, uh, it, probably a lot of it he was just making up and seeing it as it happened against Oleg Sejuk. The longer that fight went on, the more comfortable he looked dealing with the pressure. Yeah. He was shoulder rolling and deflecting shots off his gloves, um, moving his head, and he was like fainting and throwing in quick left hooks. Like that's not the normal darting right hand or takedown. I think he has an ability to actually. Uh, this is what I mean with like the obvious potential. Like if he were to knuckle down and focus on these things, make them more um, a more reliable part of his game, he'd probably be very good because he is that kind of physical specimen. Mm-hmm. So I have to pick him. I just don't trust Abus Magomedov, yeah. and I don't like Bahalio's game a lot either, but um, I just don't think he's the kind of guy who runs out of ideas quickly enough or is cowed easily enough uh, for Magomedov to beat. Yeah, I agree. That's that's what it comes down to. And, yeah, I, I just have a lot more reason to feel like Magomedov is the kind of fighter that will crumble given mm-hmm. enough resistance and Bahio, I haven't seen that happen to him. Nope. I don't know. I don't like what, a lot of what he does, but it's clear that he's tough and that he knows how to bounce back from a bad round mm-hmm. and that he has a pretty good idea of the game he wants to fight and he'll go after it. So I'll pick him too, but this could be a really awkward, ugly fight, honestly. Like sure. if Bahio gets out of, you know, if, if, if Magomedov has a good start and then Bahio gets out of the front round, first round and Magomedov starts fading, but can just kind of be defensive enough that Bahio can't get, you know, really turn what offensive success he has into a finish. Mm-hmm. Bahio's wins 
the Petrosian, the Muradov, you know, some of those wins have been pretty ugly. That Omar Gadziev fight. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not pretty fights. No. All right. Ohio is the favorite. Opened at minus 353. Is currently at minus 278. Magomedov opened at plus 294. Is currently plus 238. You know, I think as much as it could be ugly, I kind of get it and like it as a matchup. Yeah, like I guess I, I, my first glance at this was like, oh, you know, Abu Abu Magomedov flash in the pan. But the more I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think it makes sense for him to be getting mid-level tests in the UFC. Yeah, you get a and, serious physical competitor, but you take a massive step down in divisional relevance. That's what happens. He should never have gotten that main event slot he got yeah. anyway. Yeah. And it makes these, these are the kind of things where if you're going to come in with his kind of 25 and, and yeah. or, you know, 24 and four record or whatever, he had 30 fights under your belt. It should all be hard fights. They should sure. all be, you know, tough outings. So, yeah. Yep. A reasonable distance to get knocked down and a fight where he's definitely going to have moments to shine in the early going. Yep. So it's a good matchup, even if it might not be the best fight on the card to watch. That brings us to another middleweight bout. Yeah. Adolfo Vieira, Armin Petrosian, which is, this fight is another one where it actually like, mm-hmm. in this case, it's very, very much two fighters where, I've had to come around to the idea of good, actually. Yeah, right. Same. I was, I was, I was going to come in with the same sentiments that being yeah. introduced to Adolfo Vieira uh, to his UFC career, anyway, the way I was. Yep. And then being introduced to Armin Petrosian, where I was like, oh, he robbed Gregory Rodriguez. Yeah. <laughs> Which he didn't really. It was a very close fight, and he he impressed me even then, even if I he wasn't the guy I was hoping to win. Yep. But. Both men have not only continued to display like surprising like toughness and resilience and cardio, mm-hmm. particularly for Vieta, I didn't expect that, but he's got it. But also, both men have improved their skills, particularly their striking skills, considerably over a pretty short period of time. Yeah, like it almost feels like now, like. Hadolfo Vieta just like he just needed to get that hugely embarrassing loss out of the way. Yeah, I agree. It's also, to be fair, it's also aged better than we thought it would at the time. Yeah, that's that is very true, and it's also you know it's I think one of those things where it's it's a clear testament to the kind of uh, mentality that got him to be a world cha- you know world class elite yeah. leveler. He is clearly, I mean, clearly he's an, he's an incredible athlete. Yeah. So it helps him to just pick up new skills like other athletes can't. But yeah, he, what you're getting at, I believe, is that this man is a student of the game. He really enjoys improving. Yeah. Is that he is even more to that point, I would say it's he's clearly not a comfortable or natural striker. But he is also very clearly putting in the work. And saying, yeah. no, look, I I understand that there's a right way to do this, and I'm going to try to learn it. Yeah. And learn it to the point that it I'm not bad at it anymore. Yeah, because he's not uncomfortable on the feet in any kind of particularly damning way. He's not been a striker. No. Why would he look supernatural at it? Yeah. 
he reminds me a lot of Kamaru Usman, uh, mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. Kamaru Usman's career. Absolutely. Where you'd watch him on the feet and you're like, yeah, this isn't great. You're stiff and you're too easy to hit. But at the same time, it was always like, but you're also really hard, like really determined to be hard nosed about this and dedicated to pressuring and to a, a jab and things like that. So him having that kind of, uh, you know, that similar kind of attitude about it. Yeah. It it's good to see. And if anything, if he's got less sort of the natural, like aggression that made Kamara Usman so difficult to deal with when his striking was still developing, mm-hmm. he, he does appear to have developed his technique and his decision-making faster than Kamara. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought he looked really very good in that Chris Curtis fight. Mm-hmm. He was in there moving his feet. Well, it was a Southpaw orthodox fight for much of it. And he was using his jab. Yeah. It's something that far more experienced MMA strikers do not have a handle on, uh, including great, such as like Alexander Volkanovsky aren't as that they're suddenly their game doesn't function the same way when they're fighting a Southpaw. Yeah. Well, Vieta was in there pumping his jab and using it to create openings. He was hitting the body. Like, it's not just that his technique is cleaned up. He is in there, like, making experienced striker decisions with still obvious discomfort. But like you said, like, he is trying to do this in a correct and systematic way. Yeah. He knows what the pieces are there to do. He knows how to put them together. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And he makes good decisions. On the flip side, Armin Petrosian, very easy to take down. Yeah. Yeah. Not a high-powered striker, but has really showed that he has a ton of grit and a ton of determination yep. to stay in fights and make them tough. He fights super, super hard in every position. He has a bit of what Fluffy Hernandez has. Mm-hmm. He is like not relentless in a way where it's he's like dominating and crushing his opponent the entire time, but relentless in a way that against a lot of fighters, he will end up dominating and crushing them. Yeah. Just by keeping this blistering pace. Um, not the same skill set as Fluffy Hernandez. I'm no. sure Hidalfo Vieta will be pleased to know <laughs> because, like I said, that that loss aged a lot better than we expected. Yeah, it did. Her- Hernandez has been great. Ever since. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he we have been super impressed with him. But uh, I've also been impressed with Petrosian. And like I said, his striking has also come along quite quickly. Yeah. He already had the makings of a good, like a more rote game than Vieta's. But very sensibly put together. And he has only improved in uh, like how consistently he puts full combinations out there. And. While he may be road, he may be a guy who seems to throw like, I know what three punches I'm going to throw. Mm-hmm. He is also adaptable in yeah. exchanges and really impressed me last time out with his countering. Yeah. Uh, and the counters really also come in combination and there's a lot of them. His pace is crazy. Yeah. So th- this feels to me a lot like a fight where Hadolfo Vieira will almost certainly get the the first takedown. He yeah. will get the early takedown, and he will, 
probably have a lot of dominance in the opening round of this fight. And then it's a big question mark. Yeah. Because, you know, Petrosian has never been submitted, so we don't know. And Hadolfo Vieira, you know, for his, all of his excellent grappling prowess, he actually doesn't get a lot of first round submissions in the UFC. Mm -hmm. He submitted Saperbeck Safarov, but it took him three rounds to submit Dustin Stoltzfus. Submitting Safarov will just put you off of grappling entirely. Yeah, that's true. You're like, I don't want to get behind another guy and then, like, find out what's behind his ears. Because yeah. <laughs> that was not a pleasant discovery, <laughs> you know? And it took him two rounds to submit Oscar Pejota, and it took him two rounds to get to submit Cody Brundage, and he got dinged up hard mm-hmm. early in that fight. Mm-hmm. And... If he takes, if it takes him, you know, if it, if he can't put Petrosian away early, it feels more and more like a fight Petrosian is going to get more comfortable in. Absolutely. And Petrosian is not a big hitter, but he is going to hit Vieta a lot. Yeah. The longer this fight goes on. He just, like I said, he just puts out like three, four, five punches, like on a super regular clip. He is putting full combinations together. Much more so than. You know, Brundage, Stoltzfus, Safarov, or Pajota. Even Chris Curtis. Curtis is a more impactful striker, but he doesn't have the output Petrosian has. Yeah, and Hernandez doesn't have the technique. No. So, that makes this fight very tough to call. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very good matchup, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's a great fight. I think I'm going to lean Petrosian. I think I'm very worried about how bad his takedown defense is. Yeah. But I also think that he can get Hadolfo Vieira tired. And I'm also very worried about how bad Hadolfo Vieira's striking defense is. Yeah, but if you can lose to Kyle Bajalio, Zane... You know? Yeah, <laughs> but, but we just talked about the thing with Bahio is, and this is really what made the difference in that fight is just how resilient Bahio is. Well, I don't think Vieta's not unresilient. He's harder to, he's har- easier to finish than Bahio. Um, when else is he getting finished other than that fluffy Hernandez, that learning opportunity? Okay, fair enough. You know. But- like I said, I think that was a fight that he didn't know what he didn't know. Was clearly he, made super uncomfortable very quickly and was like, oh my God. And also, Anthony Hernandez is a all terrain. Really away by Cody Brundage, though, too. That well, has. He, he, yeah, he got tagged. Sure. And he got hurt badly. Like, yeah. Bahio. But he didn't get finished. He didn't get finished, but even when Bahio gets drilled. He doesn't tend to get hurt that badly. Yeah. All I'm saying is there's, I, I think he is pretty resilient. I, if, if, if nothing else, that would shock me more, even more than the striking skill in the fight with Chris Curtis. It's like this dude is just yeah. in here all three rounds, making good calls and answering and uh, I, staying in the pocket with Chris Curtis and not doing that terribly. I just have more, I, I have more feeling that he could get badly hurt at any time 
in the fight enough to give Petrosian rounds, even if he's not getting finished. Hans Petrosian, though, you know, I Is think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna pick Vieta because. Just because of how he should be able to get super easy takedowns. I mean, that's yeah, that's not a good thing. And and I don't think he'll be like uh, Gregory Rodriguez and be so stubborn about not shooting. I no. think if Chris Curtis's takedown defense was worse, that fight would have been contested a lot more on the ground. He was going for it. It's just Chris Curtis is quite difficult to out-wrestle. Petrosian is not. And Bahalio just picked up like an entire first round just positionally. Because he got a free takedown mm-hmm. against Petrosian. Yep. Um, I mean, I totally, I'm with you. Like I said, like the longer this fight goes on, the more, uh, you know, Petrosian's energy just does not diminish. He's got fantastic conditioning. He's very calm and himself super resilient mentally and physically. And his pace is not going to dwindle. And he's going to spend more, get to spend more and more time in the pocket where he's just going to outwork Vieta. Mm-hmm. But as long as he is just capable of being taken down cleanly with like one good strong shot, I, I don't know. It's tough for me to pick him there because as much success as he might have, I don't really see him finishing Vieta. Mm-hmm. He's just not that dangerous a strike. Yeah, I don't think he's going to finish him. I just think it'll be enough to yep. to steal rounds away. So, I'm I'm going to go I'm going to stick with the Petrosian pick. Yeah. But it it really is the fact that Bahalio beat him mostly just by out-wrestling him and then yeah. winning scrambles. Yep. Uh it's a great fight though. It is good matchup. Odds on the bout Ohio opened at minus 353 is currently minus 278. Oops, no, I'm at the wrong fight. There we go. Vieira opened at minus 103 is currently minus 105. And Petrosian opened at minus 107 is currently minus 105. So they are dead even in the odds. That feels appropriate to me. Yep. All right. That brings us to our final fight of the main card. Ismail Bonfim, Vince Bichel, and uh, yeah, this is the more technical, less athletic, I think, maybe, slightly, less certainly less physically uh, in line with his division, mm-hmm. bro- uh, Bonfim brother, because, you know, uh, Gabriel Bonfim is a six-foot-one welterweight and can pretty much pretty clearly be a physical force with all of his competition. And Ismail Bonfim is a five foot eight yeah. lightweight and definitely feels like in that fight he had with uh, Benoit Saint-Denis, mm-hmm. he, he looked like he was just getting overpowered. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now Bonfim bouncing back in there with Vince Pichel. And uh, and I and I think getting a somewhat similar kind of matchup to his brother. Yeah, yeah, very similar. In fact, Michelle is strong and well-rounded, and you know, tough. yeah, tough. Yeah, but also like, uh, he's old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how old is Vince Michelle now? Forty. Forty. 
um, old and uh, there are a lot of gaps in his game as well, particularly like in the striking. You can just kind of Vince Pichel's a lot of one and done, a lot of mm-hmm. flinging out a big right hand without setting it up particularly well. Yep. He's like a good wrestler, but doesn't always lean on it. And then sometimes he just gets caught off guard and just gets blown off of his feet, too. Yep. Um, but yeah, big, strong, resilient. Very much your classic MMA fighter where they're good at all the offense, a lot of the offensive stuff and bad at yeah. a lot of the defensive stuff. A hundred percent. Yeah. I I feel pretty strongly that this is a fight Bonfim should win. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to bet against age as a key criteria. And Pichel has certainly proven that he can be, you know, he's got old man strength. Oh, yeah. Um, He can still compete. But Bonfim is very much a little activity whirlwind in the cage. And it was a great testament to Benoit Saint-Denis' potential to be a future contender, even in that in the lightweight division, mm-hmm. that he was just able to stay with Bonfim every step of the way. You know? And like you said earlier, he basically did a Gabriel Bonfim to him. Yeah. It was like, I'm just, I don't respect you. I'm just going to walk you down and just yep. smash you with my most powerful strikes immediately. Yeah. You know? And if Pichel isn't going to keep that kind of pace on Bonfim, I think Bonfim is much more likely to put it on Pichel. Yep. And yeah, at that point, like, Pichel's win over Jim Miller was impressive because it really showed off the, the potential, you know, the 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 quality of his offensive grappling. Mm-hmm. But it's also Jim Miller who has had a long history of fading as fights go on. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that Bonfim is going to do that. So Yeah, and who is char- characteristically easy to pressure as well, Jim Miller. Yeah. This is the thing, is that if you... There's a fine line between like a the approach Benoit Saint-Denis took and like the approach Terrence McKinney always, always takes. You know, both of these guys would have... Terrence McKinney thought he was going to do <laughs> to Bonfim what Benoit Saint-Denis did. You know, he wants to pressure him and get in his face and just overwhelm him. But his game is not particularly well-structured. Um, He's too defensively vulnerable and he just didn't have like Santani just got on Bonfim immediately, no delay at all. And it made it so that um, Ismail was like playing catch up from the get go. Yeah. And the little difference that McKinney just had a little more respect for Bonfim and didn't know how to immediately start smashing holes through his defense. It was Bonfim who ended up pressuring him very quickly and making him uncomfortable. And, uh, I got to assume that, uh, he is going to within, by the end of the first round, end up getting a lot of time to pressure Vince Pichel. 
That's how it feels. It feels and if he like... does that, he's going to overwhelm him because Bichelle just can't, I don't think, can keep up defensively with the huge range of threats that Bonfim can produce. Yeah. Feels like a fight where Bichelle has the opportunity to do a little bit of Benoit Saint-Denis stuff, but the pushback, he's going to be much less prepared to deal with the pushback when it starts to come. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is, unfortunately, being 40, too. Where yep. It's just... Yep. Benoit Saint-Denis is a younger man, and he's huge and extremely powerful. And and just, just insane. Actually <laughs> yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah, just insane. He just didn't have to care uh, about anything Bonfim wanted to do. He had it all his way. And well, But we've seen, but we've seen too, with Benoit Saint-Denis against uh, Zaleski. Yeah. Like, even if he doesn't get anything his way. True, true. He is 100% certain that he is going to pressure and go out there and have everything his own way. Yeah. That dude is a warrior for sure. Yeah. And Michelle is not that same kind of guy. Yeah. So odds on the fight. Bonfim is the heavy favorite at minus 490. Michelle at plus 388. All right. On that note, for those of you subscribing to our sub stack, We'll be right back in just a second with a, a little bit of bonus content here about last week's event. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.